0: This is the Yahoo Finance Podcast. The following is from our All Market Summit held here in New York City, right in Times Square on October 25th, 2017. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Let's get right to it. We have Ruben Jeffrey here. He is the CEO of Rockefeller & Co. Everybody knows the name Rockefeller. Tell us about the company.
1: Rockefeller and Company is a diversified investment advisor and asset manager serving uh, individuals and families, not for profits, foundations, and other institutions. Spouted by the Rockefeller family years ago, but it's a third party business with clients around the world.
0: Let's start where Andy really finished. Yep. And- You know, he was showing these charts, and one that really sticks with me is looking at the markets globally, this synchronized growth. Uh, This week we had Goldman Sachs coming out talking about peak growth. When you look at those charts and we see synchronized global growth, we see synchronized global equity markets, do you think that that raises the risk at all of a coordinated global slowdown?
1: Yeah, Jen, it's an excellent question. As you can imagine, all of us involved in markets day in and day day out think about that one a lot. I mean, we have a situation now where, when you talk about synchronized global economic growth, the U.S. has been on a sustained recovery recovery over the past several years. Growing this year, we'll post something like two point four percent. The um, uh, the uh, major um, china chinese economy probably is going to kick in at six and a half to six point seven percent up from the prior year where they had a modest downtick going down to the low sixes go fig go 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 <laughs> figure right. right europe which in, as recently as two years ago had essentially flatlined in terms of economic growth has posted the past several quarters of two percent japan which people didn't even think about for a while, I mean, obviously market participants did, has now posted its sixth consecutive quarter of positive economic growth. So the question is, is this sustainable? How long will it last? What's the risk of, of, of a major downdraft? And interestingly, if you actually look at the underlying economic fundamentals and the early indicators of um, recession or downdraft in ticking up, for example, in weekly jobless claims, ticking up in the unemployment rate, significant moves in inflation or interest rate. It's not there. Um, That said, markets around the world, the US uh, certainly is no exception to this, are very fairly, if not fully priced. So one has to be very judicious in seeking out opportunities as between asset classes and individual securities.
0: And where do you think those opportunities are most
1: prevalent? Well, I think in the fixed, just take asset classes, in the fixed income world, it's really tough to find, find them in a, in a world where absolute level of interest rates are low and spreads have been compressed across, across the risk spectrum. Uh, in um, individual stocks and, and, and securities, there really, you really have to be opportunistic and look at particular sectors. There's the inexorable march of technology. So technolo- technologically disruptive companies if you can find them and identify them, I know you're going to have a venture capital panel later. Whether it's Look what, look what Amazon has done with the whole logistics business. Look, look at the changes that are coming in the automotive sector when you move from fossil fuels uh, to, to, to electric, when you move from all of us driving our cars to machine driving. You look at, we move from a model where we're renting cars or doing Uber, this, that, or the other thing, and not buying cars. These kinds of, and then there's the inexorable uh, move of medical, medicine, and science, et cetera. Away from those things, nobody here has to walk, do anything other than walk out the building and see that we have a serious infrastructure deficit, not just in New York City, but in this country overall. If Congress does anything on infrastructure, one can be certain that there are going to be opportunities in construction related businesses. Final area I would make it sounds mundane and boring, but the bank, banking sector. Today it's transformed relative to where it was uh, at, the, at the depths of the financial crisis. Banks are well capitalized, they substantially deleveraged, they're highly liquid, and in a, in a world of um, rising interest rates, Uh, Gradually rising interest rates, banks tend to do better uh, than than in a flat interest rate rate environment. So there's just sort of three broad categories where one might seek opportunities, certainly in the equity market.
0: So bringing up interest rates uh, brings up the Fed. We don't know who our next Fed chair is going to be. Uh, We've, uh, you know, we're watching this closely. Do you think it matters?
1: Well, sure, leadership in any organization matters. but whoever uh, uh, gets the nod for uh, the chairmanship, whether, whether Janet Yellen is reappointed or it's one of, the, one of the named or rumored candidates out there, I think their biggest challenge is going to be the continuation of this, and sort of writing the next several chapters, this unprecedented experiment with quantitative easing and now quantitative unwinding. The Fed, uh, we all kind of forget this, but over the past eight or ten years, the Fed balance sheet has gone from a trillion to four trillion or something like that. I mean, that is an unprecedented change. And ditto, not quite the same order of magnitude, but equally significant uh, in, 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 in the European Central Bank has done similarly. So how the Fed manages a gradual unwind in a way that's non-disruptive to markets and the global economy is the single biggest challenge uh, that the new Fed leadership or the, or the renewed Fed leadership is gonna face in the months to come.
0: Uh, we are going to have uh, talks later in the day on the fed and also leadership so we'll be digging into these a little bit more going back to this global synchronized growth that we're seeing right now is it funny that we're talking about it so much given that so many people are questioning whether globalization is really alive and yeah. well
1: yeah i was really struck uh, and moved by andy's charts because there is a disconnect between what's happening in the markets and, and how people uh, feel, and the surveys uh, speak speak volumes to that. Look, I think there, there's an issue in many economies, the U.S., China, about the distribution of the benefits of of, of, of economic growth, about income inequality. Um, one of the one of the um, one of the issues of the driving forces behind uh, this resurgence of protectionist talk uh, or putting on trade restraints relates largely to trying to address the frustrations of communities that have been disadvantaged by trade. Uh, trade generally, I think most economists, most citizens acknowledge that overall trade is a good thing for the global, for the global economy. But there are winners and losers in particular sectors and subsectors, and I think every government has a responsibility to address those challenges. Part of it is revising and refreshing trade agreements where appropriate, and part of it is finding alternative sources of livelihood and income for those who have been arbitraged out of their jobs through trade or technological development.
0: Do you think, given first what we saw with Brexit, the election here, uh, most recently the election in Austria, that... If globalization is in decline or is dead, uh, do you think we're going to see a market impact?
1: Yeah, I think this 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 is the issue of a uh, peak peak globalization, as as it were. Um, while one arguably one could say that the, that the major economies have have hit or attempted to hitting the pause button on globalization. Globalization is absolutely here to stay. There could be adjustments in trade arrangements and accommodations, but as I said before, it's trade and, and cross-border investment is very much in every, everybody's interest. If we all just think about it in our daily lives, look, look at how we, we consume and how we work. We need stuff that other countries make and manufacture, whether it's natural resources or products that couldn't possibly be made efficiently and cost-effectively in our, in our own economy. Similarly, other countries uh, value U.S. exports. Like our agricultural economy is very robust. Our technolog- technology is bar none. So the, the clock on the bigger picture isn't going to turn back. There'll be minor dislocations. And I would, finally, I would say, um, certainly in this, I speak as an American in this regard, there's no better environment for inward investment than the United States the quality of the labor force and just the, the basic premises of rule of law and you know inward investment brings job it creates capital formation that's generally a good thing so the bigger picture is is very much continued integration of global markets the shorter term clearly they're there, gonna be some blips and bumps along the road as, as adjustments get made
0: as an American, so you see you know, the U.S. as this beacon and a good place to be investing. We keep hearing from Washington, though, that our tax system makes oh, yes. it not a great place for business. How important do you think tax reform is to the direction of the market in the next year?
1: Yeah, there's a. Uh, we look at that 5,000 point run up in the in the markets since the um, election last year, really since a little, just barely a year ago. The um, part of that is fundamentals, as we've discussed, and part of it is the anticipation of change, be it on the regulatory front or taxes, the tax front being another area. And I think there is some. There's definitely an element of the market rise, at least U.S. Uh, market indices, that discounts some form. Of tax reform, and at a minimum, uh, markets are generally expecting uh, the Congress uh, and the administration to do something about the tax related to the repatriation of corporate profits held abroad. There's two trillion, over two trillion dollars of corporate profits held outside of the U.S., which are there and are staying there uh, because to bring back them back under the current regime would require, you know, full maximum marginal taxation of whatever the current corporate rate is on any individual company if there's a way to get those back on with some sort of tax advantage basis to reinvest in the american economy and job creation etc that that is viewed as a real positive for markets as well as other things that are talked about
0: is it necessary to have tax reform to have if, the if, market if, continue if there's going no
1: tra- tax reform it's fair to assume that there'll be some pause in the markets is going to be a major meltdown it's hard to see that coming from the lack of congressional inaction. Um, I mean, look, we've had congressional inaction all year long and markets keep going up, right? But yeah, is it, is it, is it, is it a negative for markets? Yes.
0: And you just you, you, you just said the words major meltdown, so I'm gonna jump in there and ask you okay. if you, you, do you see one coming? Is We have had, we're in 100 months right now of an expansion. Yeah. We haven't had a pullback of more than 3% in the S&P in the longest streak that we have have seen
1: you know, that's the big challenge for market uh, participants is how to how to envision that uh governor joe the chairman of the china central bank last week spoke of a so-called minsky moment which is essentially refers to an economist phrase for when something comes out of the blue and you least expect it and crashes the markets if you look at volatility which is kind of the the, the litmus indicator of market stability or quiescence uh you know I think this year we've had eight days when the s p has moved Plus or minus more than 1%. Last year that number was 42, the year before it was 78. So the lack of volatility is indeed worrying. On the other hand, the, the fundamentals and the outlook near term for fundamentals, none of the traditional signs are there. But could you get whacked uh, by a geopolitical event? Or some, some some other economic event that people haven't anticipated, yes, but it's not it's not known what that is, which is why I think we generally counsel uh, investors to be broadly diversified and to know why they own what they own and to maintain a reasonable degree of liquidity
0: so you're talking more Black Swan, mitsky yeah, than anything exactly. on the radar that we see now. You don't
1: have concerns. I mean, with the buildups, well, of course, we have concerns. I mean, they're largely geo- geopolitical. Uh, the big concern there is, I mean, I think intermediate term. You've got a, you've got an issue of the debt debt buildup. We haven't even talked about that, and it's a whole other subject. Yeah, uh, but you know, personal consumer debt, state and local governments. National debt—that's true in the U.S. It's true—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's true in China. We've got demographic challenges, which won't be a flashpoint, but over the long term, it's essentially the U.S. The U.S. population is continuing to grow. It. 5 to 10 percent, subject to what we do on immigration, et cetera, going forward. But most developed economies over the next 30 years are going to decline in population. And the less developed world is continuing to grow very rapidly in population. How we manage, I think, those dislocations uh, remains to be seen. And then, again, technology is is a disrupting force uh, that can have an effect both in, in the short term, it could be negative, but in the long term, generally positive. For global uh, growth.
0: Later in the day we're gonna have a, a specific session on responsible investing. Yeah. And I wanna get you to chime in just because Rockefeller has been in this investment space for a long time. Uh, in the nineteen seventies, certain members of the Rockefeller family uh, really gave a powerful voice to investment decisions that have you know moral and social implications. How is it Is this different than impact investing of today? Is it the same? Do you still see this as uh, an area that is should be part of everybody's portfolio?
1: Well, there's a first of all. There's a thank you for asking that. It's it's a hugely important question. And short answer to your question is yes. Um, ESG uh, responsible investing is very much a part of mainstream global investing today. And I think when we think, certainly, is becoming more so. Well, if you look at any company our experience has told told us that generally speaking there's a pretty strong correlation between companies who who make products that are value-added the consumers and society values that are good to their workers, engage with their communities, are are environmentally responsible, even though they may be doing things that affect in some way the environment, and that have solid corporate governance. Empirically, the scientists, and economists will debate on this, but generally speaking, if you're good at those things, you're probably a pretty well-managed company, right? So the basic mantra, our basic mantra and approach is, when we engage with companies, we're looking at the economic business micro-fundamentals of those companies, but we're also looking at the overall corporate value structure. When you look at companies that have gotten in trouble over the years, some have been legitimate accidents, some actually do, you do the rear-view mirror approach and you see there were some. Fundamental flaws in the value structure. Yes, very much here to stay. Then there's a continuum, though, in income, impact investing, and and ESG investing, et cetera, between um, things that are sort of not necessarily not not charity, but uh, but, uh, support versus for-profit risk-adjusted rate of return in investing. We in the long-only capital markets, liquid capital markets space, tend to be on the find value in companies while still making an appropriate risk-adjusted return based on the nature of the markets and the business involved.
0: Ruben, thank you so much for coming this morning and uh, kicking off uh, AMS. It's been great talking with you. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.